0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the PBSC podcast. Steve Moore and Mark Castleman here. It's great to be with you guys today. Uh we're on episode 157 uh of the podcast. We hope that you're enjoying the the new year and that uh the month of January is treating you well. Uh we've got a good question that came in from uh from a listener of ours. It's actually kind of a unique situation because the the listener, this is an addict who's writing in, but he is the partner of a spouse who actually we who uh came on and asked a question about a year ago. Uh, we covered uh, her question back on episode uh, one, 107. How can I ever dare to trust him again? And so uh, we'd invite you to go back and listen to that. Uh, we have over 150 episodes here. We've been up and running for uh, little, just over three years. This is our second week into our third year. Or so uh, it's kind of neat because we're having a follow-up here from an addict, um, which is awesome. So I'm just going to go ahead and read this to you. He's got a a fairly short piece here, and he's got a question that he has attached at the end. Um, I am a recovering porn addict and the grateful husband of the listener whose question uh, about foreboding joy you answered in episode 107. And then he continues on. If you have time, I would be grateful for your insights on the two questions below. I tried to provide context without becoming too long winded. I really connect with everything in episode 149. Uh, that which was, you know, a couple months back. As a porn sex addict in recovery, how do I let go of deep feelings of shame and worthlessness? I am working hard on and making progress with my feelings of worthlessness in my therapy sessions and through fellowship in SAA, which for those who don't know is sex, sex Addicts Anonymous. I believe I can change. I believe that my wife deserves an improved, authentic, and integrated man. I am now grateful that I have a new life, but I am not sure that I feel like I deserve this new life. The last part of the listener's message really hits me hard. Quote, even if she forgives me, I'm not worth my self-worth would allow, I'm not sure my self-worth would allow me to accept it, unquote. This is the situation I am in right now, and here here come his questions. My wife forgave me after my ninth step amends to her last year, but how can I forgive myself for my betrayal of her before I have given her at least 18 years of my authentic, integrated, sober self? In our recent couples therapy session, our CSAT told my wife that, quote, and I won't use his name, uh, uh, but referencing him, uh, I'll call him Joe. Joe is proud of his sobriety of 20 months, unquote, but I still struggle to feel proud. I feel happy, grateful, encouraged, and hopeful, but not proud. How can I feel proud that I have not now done the minimum basic expectation of being faithful for 20 months when I betrayed her for a whole 18 years? Any insight you can provide would be much appreciated. And then he goes on to describe, and I won't read this off for sake of time, but the long list of things that he's been doing for the past couple of years, everything from attending a couple of meetings a week to uh, comp- going through, and he's already completed the steps once, he's working on the 12 steps again, doing daily check- check-ins with his wife, they're working with a CSAT right now, and there's a whole list of other things that he is doing, so uh, you know, it's, it, it's, there's some great questions to jump into, but I think Mark and I, before we even jump in would, would want to congratulate you and say, you know, it's so good to hear that you're working through, working such a thorough recovery program. Um, yeah, really, really applaud that. Awesome. Yeah.
1: Going, going through his list was, it was impressive. Yeah. Frankly, it's not often, I mean, we, we, uh, of course have clients that will work things at the level he's describing, but boy, he's got a thorough comprehensive list i don't know that there's anything that we would suggest he's he should be doing that's not on his list
0: uh-huh yeah but it's
1: pretty pretty darn impressive yeah we have we applaud we applaud him for all the hard work
0: for sure yeah really yeah, good stuff yeah absolutely you know and 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 this is a this is a great question to ask i don't know if we've answered one similar to this on the podcast but Ah, uh, this listener is identifying a really hard part of recovery for a lot of the guys that we work with. and uh, i'm really I'm actually really passionate about this topic because this was a huge struggle for me. Um, I've said before on the podcast that you know i'm I'm over eight years sober. I've been in recovery for at least at least eleven years. I think I've been attending twelve step for about twelve, but probably didn't get really serious for a little while. So uh, I've been doing this for a while. And I remember once I got into, uh, recovery, and then especially into sobriety. You know, as we went through, for example, we just all went through the holidays here uh, as a, as a, as a planet. And I remember that the holidays for me, uh, like one would think, contrary to what one would think, where maybe the first year would be the hardest, it was actually for me, it was years two and three around the holidays, and that was kind of reflective of a, a bigger reflection of of years two and three in recovery. I was very much in a place that this gentleman is describing and, and about at the same time frame as well. I'd been working a lot of recovery. I had some sobriety under my belt. And I in many ways was now just coming to grips with really the full impact of how much damage I had actually done. Um I knew that all along, but uh, you know, for for so many of us as we're in the early stages of recovery and and we aren't, you know, we aren't good at self-awareness. We're not good at practicing authenticity. We're not good at emotional vulnerability or any of those things. Oftentimes, a lot of that flies under the radar. And as we really get involved in this process and our hearts begin to open up, we begin to become transparent—not just with others, but with ourselves. It can be very overwhelming to start to really see the full breadth of kind of the landscape of what has happened. And uh, for us, this was a this my wife and I. This was a challenge. In fact, it became so much of a challenge that eventually my wife had to kind of you know I. I killed a lot of flowers though, that during years two and three, and uh, came home literally in tears oftentimes from work. I'd hear a sappy song or something on, on my drive home, and that was about all it took to kind of put me in this place of, you know, very close to shame. In some ways, it was maybe even shame-based, but just very much getting pulled back into these old feelings of guilt and letting go. And my wife got to the point where she eventually just had to say kind of firmly, you know, I have... I have forgiven you and moved on. You need to be forgiving yourself. And uh, that's that's what we're gonna talk a little bit about today, is that idea.
1: Well, and, and you know, this this guy has something in place that you really is really a precursor to self-compassion and self-forgiveness. <clears throat> I'll tell you what didn't work for me in my early recovery to have self-compassion and self-forgiveness. And that's when I was not fully immersed in recovery. So yeah. I, was, I, mean, I was going through the motions. I was doing some good things in recovery, but, but I wasn't all in yet. Mm. And it yep. took me a number of years to get to that place. And so if you're, you're kind of working it, but not, you're half in, you're half out, and you're still you know slipping or relapsing, you're going to find it impossible to navigate to this place that we're talking about today, which is self-compassion and self-forgiveness, because you have this other side that is still there. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're, going to be, you're going to be weighed down with duplicity and with, you know, if you're hiding things, if you're, if you're still holding on to, you know, old addiction habits because you're not quite ready to let them fully go. Right. So the fact that this guy shows this really big, long, impressive list of so many things he's doing, he is in a place to then, you know, to start to look at this, this shifting into self compassion and self forgiveness because he's, he's doing pretty much everything he can on his side. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure he's not doing it perfectly. I'm sure that he still makes mistakes and messes up, you know, but he, but his willingness is really high. Mm-hmm. And and his, you know, his openness to doing whatever the programs and his therapist and 12 step ask of him, he really shows a great willingness to just do everything that's being asked of him.
0: Yes. I completely agree with that. You know, I used to I used to actually have this, I believe, hanging on my wall in my old office. I don't have it up there anymore, but a phrase that I kind of came up with a while years and years ago is is the following you know guilt is healthy so far as it inspires change yes and i continue to stand by that today right guilt you know that feeling of guilt that icky feeling that we all get you know that you know people call refer to it as many different things a conscience you know the light of christ you know there's there's a lot of things that we could term it uh essentially it's those feelings that we feel when if, if i put it in a clinical sense right we we do something that goes against our own moral value set or our own moral construct it's the brain's way of saying hey what you know the action we just took or these actions that we're taking you know they cross they cross our boundaries right they cross our boundaries of 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 the standard that we we hold ourselves to and what's okay and what's not and those and and those are i would argue those are great god-given feelings if 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 you're a god-fearing person um, because they do help to keep us on course we, in terms of our own authenticity, you know, staying the track in terms of who we are wanting to become, what our vision for ourself is, our authentic self. But um, the key to there, right, is is it is healthy as far as it inspires change, right? As long as we are in a place where we are actively moving forward, where where those feelings are are pushing us and inspiring us to be something different, they are they're healthy they're effective they 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 are a huge component to change <laughs> however any any effort expended beyond that and we're going to get into the reasons why this can happen for a person including for our listener here uh, any effort expended beyond that in that guilt department now we're crossing into either unhealthy guilt or definitely the realm of shame it's kind of evil cousin and uh, we look to guilt you know to help us to we, we want to we want to look into the future Right. Um, there's a great quote by George Orwell. You know, he says, We we look to the past to help guide us in the future. And and he who controls the past commands the future. He who commands the future conquers the past. And yeah. so as we master and, and conquer our past, and we and we and we take the lessons that need to be learned from that, that is how we begin to command the future. But I think what is implied in there is that you know, and, and where many of us fall at risk, especially as addicts who are definitely shame prone and struggle with self confidence and self worth and self esteem issues, and also trust issues. And we're going to get into that as well, is we sometimes get stuck just looking back, right? Yeah. Unable to look back. Well, and, the,
1: and, the, and the place where this becomes toxic is when we get into this space when we look at the past. And all the all the really destructive decisions we made, the pain we caused, you know, our our partner, spouse, and others, we can easily get into the place where that becomes an identity. That's who I was, and that's who I am, right? Yes. A, 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 a cold, unfeeling, selfish. Um, loser, and pervert, and all of these all of these self-identities that we get into. And that's when the toxic guilt and the shame really come into the picture. And what we want to do instead is to separate those past behaviors from our current identity. Yes. They're not the same thing. You know, uh, I know you do this too, Steve. I talk with my clients about this concept of top-down management in this process versus bottom-up. And what we mean by top-down management is this toxic guilt and shame really comes from, from your head, your brain, right? It's that, it's that part of us that is so accustomed to the negative self-talk and self-dialogue. And there's lots of religious constructs that get thrown in there and cultural things. And, and we get into this place of toxic guilt and shame all to do with, you know, thinking errors, Right, this whole all all of the different thinking errors and and character defects that we have. If you want to come at this from a healthy place, instead of you know being from the brain down, top top down management, you want to now come at this from the place of your heart. And I'll often I often share how when I made that transition from this toxic guilt and shame and terrible inner dialogue happening in my head. And instead, when I felt regret about the past, I let it settle into my heart. I just kind of felt a deep sadness Mm. in my heart. In fact, I would put my hand, I would take my hand and put it on my heart so that I could experience that sense of sadness in my heart separate from all the thinking errors in my head. I I like to refer to this in my sort of my faith tradition as as a godly sorrow. I'm feeling a godly sorrow. And what does a godly sorrow do? It helps me own my choices of the past, but it's highly motivational for me to be a different man in this moment. Mm, I let that deep sense of sadness motivate me to do different today. And so that's that's bottom-up management, right? That's that heart, that spiritual connection that uh, my identity is, you know, I'm a good man, I'm a son of God, you know, whatever that identity is, you allow that to lead out. Mm. It doesn't mean you don't own the past, but you see it through a lens of, I am... I, learned and i'm learning from that and it's making me a different man today
0: yeah yeah yep. i love that that's a great that's a great thought you know and if we kind of add a clinical spin to this a little bit right in terms of what is going on here oftentimes for a person one of the topics that we cover oftentimes in our in our dare to connect program <laughs> which many of you have probably heard about it's for addicts, spouses and couples meets three times a week during the week uh, there's an hour-long session for each of those demographics as well as support groups for both addicts and partners on the weekend. Um, We would love for you guys to come and join that. If you love the podcast, if you love what you're hearing here, take it to the next level, take your recovery to an awesome place. Uh, Come grab the uh, two week free trial that we have on dare to connect right now. Um, We are looking at uh, the price on dare to connect. will be going up here in the next couple of months and we would love to have all of you come and lock in, uh, lock in the price at its current rate uh it's a great way to start off the new year and you can find more information about both the trial as well as the program at daretoconnectnow.com um but as i was saying we do cover a, a lot of different topics and one that we cover frequently is this concept and idea of thinking errors how do yeah. they operate right how do they play a role in our lives you know thinking errors as we often say is 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 a lens quote unquote through which we see the world everybody has these they operate in the back of our mind they develop from experiences that we've had from the past They come from the culture that we're raised in and the family of origin that we come from. And there are lenses through which we see the world. And one of those quote unquote thinking errors that we oftentimes operate from that causes us to see things in a skewed perspective is what is referred to as the fallacy of fairness, right? Mm. It's this idea that that life should be happening in a balance at all times. Right. And that when there is an injustice in one area, area, there needs to be something compensatory excuse me in another area right that is of equal value so that this equilibrium is maintained all the time and even though that is a great concept <laughs> right and in, in in the hypothetical world there are a couple of things that really get in the way of of this being a true concept okay the first is well, that fairness
1: and, uh, oh go ahead and i was going to say steve this listener he when he wrote into us he expressed a classic yes. expression of this fallacy of fairness what did he say
0: I got to give did, I got to do 18 good years cuz yep. I've
1: given 18 bad ones, right? And yep, until I've given her 18 faithful connected years, I don't have a leg to stand on.
0: Yes, absolutely, right? And so there is a lot to and, and there's a lot of things that are uh, that are un, even though again the notion makes sense on paper, when it comes to actual reality as it stands, there's a couple of things we need to do to correct that, right? The, the first is that this idea of fairness, fairness is a subjective concept right? Everybody, rule number one for therapy, we talk about this often on the podcast, is that there are always three realities when it comes to a coupleship. Your reality, their reality, meaning your partner's reality, and then actual reality, right? As it stands. And those in some ways will line up, but in many ways, they will also be in a constant state of disagreement because we all see and interpret the world around us differently from minute to minute. And so this idea of what is fair and what is not is constantly shifting and changing, for a person, depending on the subject, the instance, you know, et cetera. The second piece to keep in mind with that is that we all experience reality differently. Right. And we all experience relationships differently. Everybody brings pros and cons to the table. Trying to quantify a relationship as being quote unquote fair is unrealistic because of that in just a whole variety of ways. Right. For example, I let's, let's, let's say Steve has five good traits. Me, I'm Steve, right. Let's say I've got five good traits that I bring to the marriage for my wife, what I consider those to be good traits in terms of their value, my wife is probably going to look at each of those and she'll value them slightly more, or slightly less than I do, right? So you can already see how just over one simple observation, how the math is already off and then it just branches off from there. It goes back to, again, this question of reality, right? There's so much subjectiveness to it. And so this fair piece just isn't realistic. So rather than asking this, this this question, you know, is it fair for me to stay in this relationship? Or more importantly for this listener, and this is where I was at, you know, in year three of sobriety, is it fair for her to stay in this relationship? What both partners need to be, what we need to be switching to is rather than asking that of, and trying to evaluate our partner's reality and say, you know, is this fair? Is this not? What we need to be switching to, is it authentic, not fair? But is is it authentic for me to continue to engage in this relationship, right? What is my reality and what is my truth, and how can I practice trust, and letting go and surrendering and recognizing that my wife's truth should be just that, right? That's her truth. Does she want to choose, right? Does does she? Is it authentic for her to keep staying in this relationship? So it's an important piece to to recognize as we kind of go through this. Um
1: well and and that was very much the case for me. It, you know, it it got to the place where like this listener said, you know, my wife had forgiven me. She was engaged in moving forward. Yes, the past was still painful and it would come up for her from time to time and she would authentically express it. But she was, she was very much consciously living in the now, in this present moment, and going forward. And she really didn't dwell on the past that much. Who do you suppose was the one in the relationship that dwelt on the past continually? It was me. Yeah. I was very much stuck in the past. And I brought it up a lot more than she did. And she was like, she was like you said, Steve, with, with your wife, she finally got to the place where she almost kind of had to, well, not almost, she, she set a healthy boundary. She said, I am not comfortable with you continuing to bring up the past and beat yourself up and self-flog and do all this stuff. Yeah. She said, I, I'm ready to move on. What do you need to do in order for you to be ready to move on? And that sounds like an odd question, doesn't it? For a betrayed spouse to ask their addict partner, what do you need to do to be ready to move on? <laughs> mm. Right. <laughs> but it's very true.
0: Yeah. No, it absolutely is. And what we're really talking about here, guys, is a new level of vulnerability, right? And transparency. In any, you know, in any relationship, it is human nature oftentimes to quote unquote, you know, we like to be in control. And without realizing it, it's it's very common for us to quote unquote decide. You know, what makes sense for others using our own paradigm and our own lens, right? Our own experience. I mean, I've said oftentimes, I mean this exact to speak to this exact thing, I wouldn't want to be married to me. I don't know why you want to be married to me. Yes, right? yes, yes. And the reality is, is what does that stem back to? It stem backs it stems back to one letting go of control, but it also stems to trust issues. Choosing to trust that my partner is an intelligent, independent, uh smart, bright confident person and that they have the ability to make those decisions for themselves and that they have the God-given right to choose me or to not. And it's scary to let go of that control for us. Oftentimes we will, for example, you know, try to outwit rejection by saying sometimes that's an issue for us, right? We we, we are so convinced that our spouse would never accept us. We almost try to move to a place where we self-sabotage. And create yep. a scenario where where they can't accept us, yep, right? Exactly, because we want to get ahead of the pain. <clears throat> the scariest thing in the world is to look at your partner, especially after we've caused this damage, and be able to say, "You know, I'm here. I am. I've done this work. I'm doing my very best. Do you still want to be with me?" That's really scary. Mm-hmm. You know that there's a human there's a human component about letting go of that that is scary for anyone, especially those of us who struggle with these. Self-worth and self self-esteem issues, right? And so there's there is that there is that leap of faith that we have to take where we have to recognize, you know what again, this person is smart, they're bright, they're intelligent. I need to let them, if they want to be in this relationship, I need to be my most authentic, transparent self. I need to live my truth. I need to give them all the information, right, Be open in my check-ins, sharing myself with them, the good and the bad. And then I do the hardest thing in the world, which is to step back and let them decide. Let them decide. Yep. What do they want? Yep.
1: And all, and there was a, a you know, as, as we start to talk about this being authentic and letting our partner, you know, decide what they choose and what they don't. You know, it was obvious in, in my marriage that why my wife was still choosing. Hmm. And what i this this was one of the hardest this may be the hardest thing that i learned to do and i still work on it <clears throat> with regard to our relationship and that is you know steve what you and i talk about which is coming together as a coupleship standing side by side to face a common enemy yeah. now here's where the here's where the difficulty and irony comes in when that co- that quote common enemy was the past addict mark, right? All of my terrible, destructive, horrible choices and behaviors over decades. That was uh, that was the common enemy. And when my my wife would bring up some pain that something triggered, I actually found that I got better and better by 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 getting in tune with my heart, that godly sorrow, I could, I could more and more sit by her side and literally cry with her as the two of us looked at what I had done. Yeah, Yeah. I was actually able to sit next to her and literally have empathy and weep with her about that common enemy. Mm. I could not do that from a place of shame. No way.
0: Absolutely. That's a great example. So much power in these concepts, guys. And we, we so appreciate this listener for writing in about this. I mean, there's, we could go on and on about this topic this is one this is one of our longer podcasts than we've had in a while um i know <laughs> and we as always there's never enough time to to cover all this stuff here which again please if you are liking the dare to connect program come ch- or or you're liking the podcast please come check out the dare to connect program guys it is it is we're bringing you something close to 20 hours of content a month and support uh for the cost of each of you having one therapy session a month Um, in this in this case right now less although the price is going to go up a bit but still it's going to be under that price point we would love to have you join us you can find more information about that again at daretoconnectnow.com. Come lock in i'm locking the current price point we'd love to have you join and and be with us Um, if you do have questions that you would like briefly tackled on the podcast as always like this listener uh, which we're very grateful them for writing in uh, you can uh, reach us reach us uh, at our at our podcast website at pbsepodcast.com. There's a contact form at the bottom where you can submit questions, and we can get you uh, good, albeit brief, answers. <laughs> so, um, but we we sure do love and appreciate our listeners. Thank all of you for for your patronage, for tuning in as we as we roll into year three of this podcast in over 165 countries and 400 thousand downloads and climbing. We just appreciate and and are so grateful for each of you and and from hearing from you and for the hopefully the positive benefit that you take away from this each week. Um, and with that, uh, we hope that you guys have a great week and we will uh, we will see you next time. Everything expressed on the PBSE podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial nine one one or go to your nearest emergency room.